You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 530. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of season two of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. Uh, Dishwasher travails have been sorted, uh, fingers crossed, but I want to address the listeners because some of you are probably wondering, Dave, what's up with the burgundy sweatpants? I mean, where are your traditional black pants? I was wondering that myself. Uh, Yeah, but here's the deal, Wayne. Okay. After the dismal weekend with the O's and the Ravens' biblical proportion meltdown, Mm -hmm. I'm wearing burgundy to remind myself that it could be worse. (laughs) I could be a fan of the Washington football team. You could be a, a now the Commanders fan, yeah. That's- so uh, that, that's what that's all about. I apologize. I'll be back to uh, I'll be back in black next week. Okay. I still have. So. I know, like you, as an older Colts fan, that there were some divisions there between uh, the formerly named team from Washington and the Colts. But I was like too young to really develop any hate of the Washington team, and then when the Colts left, I kind of like you know sidled up to to Washington for for a while there until we got our own team. But I still have a a soft place in my heart for the uh, the burgundy and and uh, gold of, of of Washington. So I'm not I don't I don't hate, but they're you know. Well, you know what happened with me, and I think I was saying this to Scott recently. You know, because, you know, I'm a little bit older than you are. For me growing up, the Washington teams, the Senators and, you know, the uh, team which uh, their nickname shall not be said aloud anymore because it's about as offensive a nickname as there is, I think, in sports. (laughs) Uh, um, and, And they were just terrible the whole time I was growing up. And the Baltimore Colts and the Orioles were really good. So I kind of adopted them as my secondary team because there were no threat and then i go to college and the washington football team is starting to get good and i never witnessed the vitriol and the just assholeness behavior (laughs) of the washington fans in my dorm i'm like okay i'm back on the hate train i got you and and you know after that it's just yeah so uh anyway um i'll go ahead and start with what i am watching and i think i mentioned last time and it's really kind of gotten exacerbated i i just can't really find anything i'm excited about watching in the genre field i started watching season seven of doctor who now of course i've i've seen it i I saw it when it aired and i mentioned that my wife and i had had seen a, a series just last week with jenna coleman in the lead so i thought all right when did jenna coleman's character start in doctor who of course season seven so i go back and i'm I'm working my way through that where you know we're introduced at this point as oswin aka souffle girl it's season seven of course the end of amy and rory's run uh run among other issues but I still needed something else and I'm going th- through prime video and I started watching the historical series, Billy, the kid. I don't know if that's popped up in your prime video. feed yes. at all. Well, I saw something about it somewhere. Yeah. So I'm like four or five episodes in and it's 
pretty good. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, but if you're into historical drama, and I don't know how big a legend Billy the Kid is outside of the United States. Right. Uh, you know, well, perhaps was, Mexico. Uh, the Young Guns movies were pretty popular, I probably think, even internationally. So, Okay. But, but you know, in the States, he, he's – you know, the, this larger than life figure, um, you know, because the Wild West has just been so romanticized over the years. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, so if any of you guys have any suggestions, just don't suggest any of the Star Wars series. And it's not that I don't think that, you know, Andor has been recommended to me and, and I, I probably would like it, but I'm not going to add the, another streaming service. So, gotcha. you know, it's got, it's got to be on Netflix, well, Max, there's some, Prime. There's some good shows that I, I'm kind of interested on, on Apple Plus, you know. I can't remember what they are right now. But, oh, uh, Have you seen Silo? That, uh, oh, Silo, yeah. Well, you saw that, I, you saw I, that one, right? I saw that, yeah. Um, Lioness, I think. Is that Apple TV Plus? Uh, I don't know. Oh, that might be Paramount Plus. Anyway, uh, it looks pretty good. I can't remember what streaming service it's on, though. You know, I know you don't want to add a streaming service, but you know, all I can say is Paramount Plus. I think they have a like a one month uh, trial period or whatever that you know you can check out some of those excellent Star Wars shows, Star Trek shows. I'm sorry, they got on there. All right. Well, anyway, so what are you watching? Well, Dave, I'm going to get a little, a little real, a little serious here for a sec because recently, actually, uh, my wife and I have been watching a lot of CNN. Um, with the Hamas attack on Israel. And, you know, that's kind of put a lot of other stuff out of my mind recently. Um, you know, my wife is Jewish, and we she does have, we have family over there. Uh, we certainly know people that live in Israel, and my you know, all my kids have friends who live over there. So it's, you know, really um, impacted us and everything. And, you know, I just... You know, when people use violence like this, and I know it's it's not a one-issue thing. And I've talked about this before on, on this show, how I understand that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, there's no straight-up good guy, bad guy here, right? There's a lot of bad stuff going around on on both sides. and But what happens is when, you know, when violence becomes the answer, right, it's going to be innocent people on both sides that are, are suffering. And there's uh, Israeli families whose children were, have been captured and killed and they don't know where they are. And there's many, we're just, obviously, we are not seeing, that's the one thing I'd say about the news in America is we, they're not really even showing us the Palestinian side really at all. Um, not so much. You know, they're showing, we're seeing grieving mothers, Israeli mothers uh, all over the place, but hardly ever a sign of the Palestinians. And there's lots of, you know, innocent uh, Palestinian civilians that are suffering because of this as well. And it's just when, when you know, I don't, I, I don't claim to even for, to begin to know the answers, but you know, it's just this idea of, of, of violence and guns being the, the solution to any kind of problems is, um, you know, that's problematic with me. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about all those people that are, are suffering over in that area right now. So sorry to get throw a wet blanket on this, Dave. I just had to get that out. 
Well, no. And, and you know, one of the things I, I heard today that once I heard it, it certainly makes sense. And you may know this already that Maryland, where we live, has the fifth largest Jewish population in the United States. So it, it really does impact so many people here and just, you know, like, like you mentioned your wife, of course. And it's funny because we, we left CNN for MSNBC like maybe six or eight months ago. And now I don't even remember exactly why. I think it was when the ownership changed and CNN started, I don't know, leaning a little too far right for me, but they kind of righted the ship. But anyway, MSNBC had a Palestinian representative, you know, an, an American representative, and the host just proceeded to talk over her the entire time. And as you said, it, it, it's such a complex situation. And I said to, to Mary the other, well, I guess it was last night, if two smart people like us with the internet are still a little bit confused about everything that's going on and how complex this whole situation is. No wonder so many people just like, Oh, okay. And then they move on. Right. But, but it, it, it something has to be done. And, and I don't know what, like you kind of alluded, I don't know what to do. Violence is clearly not the answer. I said to her, it's like, what does, you know, Hamas think the end game is going to be here. Right. Um, uh, there's probably a country I'm forgetting, but in terms of militaries, after China, Russia, and the U.S., you know, Israel's right up there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know who's got a, a bigger military than than Israel after that. Maybe some well, European. You know who does it? Inc. It's Hamas. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So and, and, anyway, and, yeah, you wonder. I mean, I I understand that you see the suffering of your people every day, and you feel that this is the way to to settle things. But how 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 much are your people going to suffer in the next couple of weeks? Like Israel's not just going to say, "Oh, gee, guys," you know, it's not like they're going to take that. They've already started bombing the crap out of Gaza, and I assume there's going to be. A ground invasion of of Gaza. How is that? Gonna, you know, it's just like it's. It, I, I don't. I just don't understand what they they think of as their their objectives here. Because if their objectives are to to better the lives of their people, this is not going to do it. Right? This is absolutely not going to do it. It's going to make the lives of your people much worse for a very long time. So I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't yeah. pretend to really understand all of it. Just it's you know, like I said, just when I think of all the people, all the Palestinian and, and Israeli civilians who whose children are dying, whose mothers and sisters and brothers and uncles and aunts are dying, I just I don't know. It just yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say, Dave. All right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there. I mean, it's I'm glad you brought it up, but. All right, so Foundation Episode 9, the penultimate episode of Season 2, uh, long ago, not far away. Even I rec- recognize that yeah. as an illusion. Right. Well, but, but now, also, and, and a lot of our feedback mentioned, obviously, a shout-out to Star Wars, and you can't miss that. But also, like a fairy tale, right? Sure. Because that's like the beginning of this is told as – like a children's tale 
Right, because essentially that's how it all starts, right? She's talking to young Cleon. And- right. But, it, it, but that's like, you know, I, I wonder, because it's, I, I try, I'm not sure, I, I assume it's the voice of Dusk, but sometimes it seems like day. It's tough for me to figure out who was doing the voiceover of narrating the story. No, I think it's Cleon the first, right? It's that hologram. Yes. Right, right, right. That's, that's right. That's what it is. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm, I will stop my comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, but just, um, he's telling it like as a children's tale. He's not talking to children, right? He's talking to Dusk. He's just talking to uh, Rue, who are adults. But he still tells it uh, in the style of a story as you would tell it to children. Sure, absolutely. All right, well, this one's written by Jane Espenson and Eric Carrasco, who co-wrote A Necessary we Death. The, uh, the ship right in here. Yep. Uh, Directed by Roxanne Dawson, who directed Last Empress. This one aired September 8th, 2023. So a great episode. You know, we often talk about penultimate episodes as being merely set up episodes. And dude, obviously this one set up a hell of a lot. But to call it simply a setup episode would would not be doing. They advanced the ball big time on this one. Yes, they did. So, I mean, one of the things that pops up that maybe I missed it in the past, that Earth is the planet of origin. Um, I don't think you missed that in the past, Dave. Though I feel like, I don't know if, I don't know if they mentioned it before. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. Yeah. And, of course, now I'm thinking, all right, well, does Earth play a role? Is it still inhabited? Uh, has it been renamed? So, I don't know, but I found that fascinating and and again there are very few throwaway lines in shows that we podcast about so um, you know obviously it comes up in in the sense that he presents demerzel with the repair kit that he had to go to earth to get or or at least send to earth but why keep demerzel at all I mean, you, you you are afraid that she's going to reproduce. I'm, you know, making air quotes. Right. So you're afraid of what she could give rise to. Uh-huh. So you're saving her simply because of her rarity. I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, that if you're if you're that afraid after the robot wars, well, let's just keep one. What could what bad could come of it? Well, I think part of it. And I'm going to say one thing seriously and one thing kind of frivolously. The, the serious thing I'm going to say is that, as they said in the show, she was his only friend. Right? Well, yeah, but I mean the original person that had her segmented. Oh, yeah. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that's the right. one that, to me, doesn't make any sense. The one, you know, that, that she's been in there for, well, he just I don't know, 5,000. control, right? Like, she wouldn't go oh. anywhere. Like, but Well. I understand that, but anyway, not yeah, to believe no, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, why, if, if she's so dangerous, why not destroy her like, obviously, they did all the others? Right. Right. And, so. which brings up, I think, two of our feedback. I know Fred and I think maybe Alan. I'm just going to say Alan because it's pretty likely. <laughs> yeah. Or Joe. <laughs> one of them. You know, said, like, wait, how, how, do they, how do they have this secret room for 5,000 years that nobody knows about? 
and yeah. that is clean and powered and everything like well the the clean and power i i've got an answer for we'll get to that when we get to the feedback but uh the other thing when he first you know young cleon finds that room and goes back and, and finds demersol segmented for me it was sort of a nod not only to westworld sure but also to doctor who you remember lady cassandra yes who who was the last human and all it was, was her face stretched yes. out. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And that person would come in and missed her. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so I think that was season two because it was Billy Piper for sure. Uh-huh. But I think she, was she in, I think there was a few episodes. She was a bit, yeah, there for were. sure. Yes, season two right. was the first one. New New York. Right. Exactly. Right, right, right. But, I guess certainly what comes out of this episode that, that once she's made whole, we learn the level of her influence through the centuries, which kind of supports what we've surmised all along. It's that she's actually empire, not Cleon right now. Now, I mean, is that really fair to say, is she really empire? Is she the one calling the shots? I think basically. Yeah. Okay. You know, she does what she has to do to make Cleon do what she wants him to do, right? Well, yeah, and I think maybe the telling scene to support that line of thinking occurs, I guess it's, is it right after um, Day orders the strike Yes. on Terminus and that she says, uh, I got to go, I, I got somewhere to be. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, I'm thinking, all right, he's going to say, no, 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 you stay here. Where do you need to go? And she's like, I got stuff to do. I'm going. And she goes. Yeah. And he doesn't stop her. That really, I I think, kind of solidifies how much power she continues to wield. And I don't know what to make of it. I mean, you know, once we get through all of this stuff in the episode, he implants that chip, which is, I guess, sort of like a governor. We assume it's the chip or her programming, regardless, something she's programmed to love him. Well, or, or programmed it, to not harm him and to obey him, right? Well yeah, well, yeah, but then he says, you know, he says, you know, will you kiss me? And, you know, can you love me? And she says, yes. And he says, well, I wish I'd asked you that before. I programmed right. you to say that. So that's that's exactly right. So he'll never right. So that's not. It's not like her answer is like a heartfelt, you know. Oh yes, I can love you. You know, um, because as as he said, you know, like he's forcing her into this position. She there's which is we we talked about before is the the ickiness of the whole relationship, uh, sexual relationship between her and Day is that he is in the position of power over her so you can't say that you know anything she feels is like love or respect or anything like that yeah i mean i guess i like the ambiguity because you know as she realizes that all right yes i've been made whole yes i can now roam free i i like the fact that the three laws of robotics have 
apparently been thrown out the window so that, yeah, you can still hurt humans, just not me. Now, on the one hand, she's like, you know, well, this is not freedom. This, you know, I'm still in a prison. And he's like, well, what do you think it's like for me? I'm in a prison. And we understand what he means. You know, there's so many historical figures throughout the ages that ascended to positions of power that they never really wanted. And who was it? Edward and England that just abdicated and, um, you know, turned the throne over. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it certainly happens, but, but we, we get what he's saying now. It's not the same because he, he still has much more agency than she does at this point. But did you see the tear? Now, on the one hand, you might say, well, she already went through that story about how she could produce tears because, you know, one of the Cleons or I can't remember if it was one of the Cleons or or the last king, you know, before the Cleons that that basically was a was a sadist and and would like try to inflict pain on her. And and that was the guy that was the first that was the guy who imprisoned her. And right. Right. And she said, I could see he wanted me to look like I was in pain. So I acted like it, you know? Right. So, so she mentioned producing tears, but in this case, she produces a tear that he doesn't see. At least I don't think he sees it because of the, you know, the positioning of the two figures. So what's that tear mean? You know, it, it, it goes back to what we've talked periodically about does she have real emotions that, that we would consider human? I'm making air quotes, human emotions. And I don't know. I mean, she understands the concept of freedom and an agency, right? Like when young Cleon goes in there, the very first thing she says is, will you set me free? Right. And ultimately he, in his mind, he is setting her free. But as you said, it's really just, Another prison and maybe even a worse prison because even though she gets to be out and walking around, her her agency is is pretty much nil. She can't go where she can't, wants to go or do what she wants to do. Um, and not only that is when he dies, she's not free then either because he's set up this pernicious system that where – his, you know, he just regenerate or, you know, regrows himself. And so therefore for as long as this genetic line is in existence, she's not free. Now that being said, right. We've always thought it seemed like she was against this genetic line, but really she should be totally for it. As soon as the Cleon or as soon as, uh, an emperor comes to the throne, that's not a clone of Cleon. She can kill him. Well, right. But, you know, but see, I get the the other sense. I, I get that once Sarath comes into the picture, that Demerzel's not really happy about that. And But someone's that, like, who cares? You're, you'll be free. You can finally well, go, right? Well, you would think. Now, I, I, I go back to the chip that Cleon the first implants in her. And he's like, yeah, you can't remove it. And I'm thinking like, well, why not? 
(laughs) I mean, through all of these 600 and some years, you've never figured out a way to get that out. Okay. I guess. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've seen her repair herself. My God, we saw you right. know half her head sure, sliced sure. away, and she can. You she's think got she the would tools just say to, to someone, that. Like, hey, there's this, uh, something. In the, man, I got this crick in the back of my neck. I think there's something back right. there. It's not supposed. Can you yank that out for me or something? Like, well, well right. <laughs> it's like do this, keep quiet, or I'll kill your family. Right. <laughs> I mean, something. Yeah. I know. I'm going. You know, that went dark so, quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, but but yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. She's had loads of time to like figure out a cunning way, to, unless part of the programming is she can't even think of a way to try and remove it or something. I don't know. But again, well, it's something we accept, right? We take it. Like there's there's a million ways we could point this and say that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. Well, is it possible she's already removed it? That, I mean, we we don't. That's a know. solid question, Dave. I didn't think about that, but yeah. And that she's chosen to stay. I mean, look, is it fair to say that Cleon? And we're talking about Cleon the first because this comes out of that story that he's in love with her. I, he asks her to marry him, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, isn't that what he says? Like, will you have me, or something like that? Well, he uses the word betrothal. Yes, he does. And then he gets down on one knee. Yeah. Uh, so. I, now that I've enslaved I, you, will you be mine? Well, well, yeah. that much of a choice, does she? So, yeah. Um, so then, and then we get to the very end. The story's over, and we're back to Cleon the first hologram. So, what's the deal with Ruin Dusk? Yeah, now that they know. Right? I mean, are they trapped there? I don't think so, because the Cleon just goes away, right? So I assume they could just go yeah, back he out activate, the door. He, yeah, but he activates that force field. That was keeping Demerzel oh, in. Oh, I missed that part. originally. Right. Yeah, he. Yeah, so he activates that force uh, field. Okay. So they're trapped. So now the question is, all right, somebody's going to miss them. Right. <laughs> I mean, sooner rather than later. But, I mean, it's like how are going to figure out where they are? You know, like bingo, right? So now, what's the impact going to be on the marriage? I I can't imagine Sarah's going to say. Eh, rule turn yeah, up. It's fine. Now, the fact that Dusk is also missing, and everybody knows that the two of them had a somewhat torrid affair in the sure. past and have picked it up again. So I think maybe people would say, well, the two of them just probably are off doing their own thing. And and so maybe it'll just get played off like that. And and that's reasonable to assume. So Yeah, true. Well, it's only like, you know, like a week or two at best, you know, maybe in a couple of days, like just stuck there. You know, they're not androids, they're not robots. So, you know, they're they're going to die without food and water. Um, um, but one thing. Yeah. And this is when I said the, the, the kind of frivolous thing I was going to say before is you wonder, because you, you, we see obviously the, the, um, the hold that Demerzel has over Cleon. You know, how much of that is because from, like, the very f- first, he's been able to see all her lady parts? Well, you know, I mean, she plays right from the start she to does his later. ego. That's right. I'm not being 100% frivolous when I say that because later she starts telling him dirty stories, right? Right, As right. a way to, again, to, to entice him to get him to free her, so. And it obviously works. And... 
is that also you know kind of what pushes him to fall in love with her i'm sure it's all connected how could how could it not be um so i love i love how like he 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 points as her coming being able to come to his bed as like one of the upsides of of this whole deal you know oh, now you can come to my bed she's like oh sweet because that's totally what i wanted right like now i i think the other thing that's so important that comes out of this story though is the fact that demerzel has been essentially responsible for educating and preparing the cleons to be men right well that we knew right well, well yeah but i think when we see day in the present and I, I, I mean, at at best, he's a sociopath. Yeah. At worst, a psychopath who appears to enjoy murdering the civilians on Terminus. Right. And she recognizes that she's failed, and she tells him yeah. <laughs> that I failed. Yeah. You know. And he doesn't and really like, take that to heart either. You know, he just kind of like rolls rolls off that one. Yeah, I mean, he's like, "What the hell?" She's, "What the hell's wrong with you?" And and right, and it's like he doesn't recognize in that that final scene, that visual. I mean, it makes you think of Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah, well, that's even like I, I can't remember again. I'm sorry, guys. I, I know one of our contributors had said it was like an idiotic grin. Um, so you know, like in one way, it's kind of sick, but also I think it is. In my notes, I called it a shit-eating grin because I think it's like basically, yeah, like a stupid grin, like a really dumb person who just did something completely asinine but thinks he's brilliant for doing it, you know? Well, and and the other thing, again, we've talked about it even within the three brothers where, you you know, when when Sarah asks Dawn a few episodes back, you know, well, you wouldn't be like that, would you? And he's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I would. Uh, you know, right now I wouldn't. But when I reach his age, who knows? So you get the sense that could this be the first Cleon that has really gone off the rails that in the past, you know, she's been able to mold young men to become leaders to become empire and that everything was cool well i I think we've seen from all the we've seen a number of cleons i don't even really i haven't counted how many i know there's quite a few all of them have been more arrogant than clever you know more proud than thoughtful and that has kind of run through all of them and we see that with the very first you know with with the very first cleon we always just assumed he was some kind of mastermind, but he's kind of a dope just like the rest of them. And, and what he does with Demerzel is, I mean, it's pretty boss technology and everything, but still not a great move. Well, yeah, but I mean, arrogance is one thing just to brutally, savagely wipe out this planet, knowing full well I, I, I mean, we get that great scene, and and again, I'm like apologizing, like like you just apologized. I forget which of our feedback submitters says this, and you know, probably have it in my notes. When we get to that point, but the acting 
it's always been great throughout the series, but they even take it up a few notches in this one. And, you know, when Bell realizes that Glewin is alive on the planet, but I've just been given the order by day to level the planet. Yeah, and, that was great. And then they kind of click into that personal conversation and his whole manner changes, you know, like. Yeah. Now, were you surprised Day let him get away with it? Or was that, um, okay, I can be a human for 10 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, say your goodbyes. Like whatever. You're, yeah, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do anyway. So, yeah, exactly. Say your goodbyes. I mean, Ben Daniels, that guy is He's he might be now one of my new favorite actors. That guy is freaking amazing, and his like the how how he, his these swings he has from Bell of you know being the the tough commander in the one hand to the you know the grieving husband on the other. It's just I mean he's man that guy is just impressing the hell out of me. I, not that it means anything, but Ben Daniels, well done, buddy. You're awesome. Um, well, yeah. And it's easy to overlook Lee Pace because his character has evolved into this really hateful character. But yeah, you know, right? No, he he he's great too, man. You know, like yeah, he doesn't his you know he is not required to show as much nuance uh, with Day, but you know he still he he nails it every second. Like I said, that that grin at the end, right? I I would call it an enigmatic grin, but. Um, Still, uh, very well done. I think perfectly nailed that. Um, now, shout out to Glaywin, right? I, I didn't. I will admit, I didn't trust him earlier in the season. But uh, even though we're like low key rooting against him because we're kind of like rooting for Terminus and the Foundation, right? But you know, like he was straight up heroic, right? He's like he was literally Luke Skywalker flying into the Death Star there and um it was very brave and you know courageous and i know it's the same thing as brave caring for his his comrades and everything uh you know as uh as fitzgerald says about gatsby he was all right in the end well just a, a minor nitpick and and again somebody with more of a military background might tell me i'm off base here I, I, i'm a little surprised that you'd allow your xo to fly the lead ship into the fray, but is he, okay, is whatever. He your best pilot, though, you know. Like, yeah, okay, maybe. You know? I mean, you know, he's no Starbuck, but uh, I guess he, I, he did, was pretty did okay. Good. He was pretty good, I'd say. But, yeah, well, uh, did he? He got shot down. Oh wait, Starbuck got shot down too. Yeah, right. um, but she came back. So <laughs> anyway, we digress into uh, Battlestar Galactica lore, which right. uh, we'll save for that. another day. Nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, but you know, we've often talked about how we integrate certain sci-fi elements into our teaching in the classroom. I will be the Cleon who chose peace, he states, when he says he's going down to Terminus. It's like, yeah, well, how'd that work out for everybody? Yeah. So did he... Now, you, you could argue, well, when he went to the planet's surface, despite everybody trying to convince him it's a bad idea... Did he truly think he was going to be able to broker peace? Maybe, but I, I, I get a strong feeling he had no idea what was going to happen. But okay. the big, the adults in the room do. They're like, no, definitely should not go down there. Like Belrios is like, we've got him 
blockaded. They can't go anywhere. This is done. All we, you know, we don't have to fire a shot and we can get, you know, do all we need to do. But Dave's like, mm, nah, I'm going to handle it myself. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, on the other hand, does foundation, you know, have too much confidence in the ability of Invictus to fight off the empire fleet? Clearly they did. Well, because it, I don't think they, they thought there was really going to fight, right? Like, uh, Sir Mac is ready to negotiate. Like he's not, he's not there to threaten, and, or anything like that. He's he's expecting this is going to be some kind of negotiation. It's like okay, well, yeah, yeah. But isn't what sets off uh, the battle the battle star uh, the Death Star? Um, <laughs> they they recognize that Invictus has basically come online and weapons are active or whatever. And well, that's then, because of what Day is doing down on Terminus, though, right? That's, okay, I think that's they go to the high alert after he like. I think it's after. Is it after he stabs Sir Mac? I think it, well, it, I think well, it could be. You mean after he says your church is an armory and your religion a cult? Yeah. He's not wrong by saying He's not that. Wrong, you know, right? Like, that's actually fairly accurate description. But. Right now, he doesn't go full on Joseph Stalin because he says, you know, kill the priests and counselors, but bring the scientists. Which, all right, I, 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 I'm not justifying killing the priests and and. Uh, counselors but uh, yeah, you know at least he had the foresight to to save the scientists although i guess that in the end Stalin did that actually so. no he he killed the scientists as well didn't he i mean wasn't well, that, that after world war ii no okay i thought that was what you know caused it the soviet union to take so long to really come back because he got rid of all the competent people but anyway i'll defer to your no i just i, I mean I, I think I was I was just talking about like after World War II when the U.S. and Russia kind of you know grabbed all the Nazi scientists and oh yeah 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 right 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 so, yeah his own scientists yes but yeah, yeah. the Nazis they saved those guys as did right. the U.S. right so he notices the vault oh I want to go there <laughs> and I thought it was a pretty cool visual as as he's walking up towards the vault and and you know demerzel's behind him and and you know the, some of the other people and he's like what are those and and uh polly explains you know about the eh, vaguely explains about the flags and all of that and and again another poignant scene at the end when polly you know plants a, a flag but as day is going up there you know just this you know you mentioned arrogance a few minutes ago and he just starts taking off all of his protective gear like okay but once he gets in does harry really think he's going to be able to reason with day who claims to want peace is i'll get the sense that harry is just playing with him that does Harry know what the end result is going to be here? Well, yes, because of psychohistory, right? Yeah. And as he tells Day, you're like, you're not an outlier, dude. Like, you're, you're, that's what I think. Um, I believe Alan from Minnesota said something about, like, or maybe it was Joe. Ah, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it said something about why doesn't uh, Harry just keep, keep them there, right? And that's a that's a that's an excellent question because it's, it's basically or like why doesn't Harry kill Day, 
was it, right? That would seem to everyone on Terminus is saved, right? Day's dead. But um, as Harry tells him, it's like you're not an outlier, dude. You're whether you live or die doesn't affect the course of events either way, which is obviously very hurtful for Day because he thinks he's so progressive and he thinks he's changing the course of everything. But Harry's like, nah, not really. <laughs> so why doesn't he kill him? Because he doesn't have to. It doesn't matter, right? Day doesn't matter in the long run of everything. And that's kind of the thing that they've made about psychohistory a number of times is that individuals don't really matter. It's the it's the overall arcs of history that matter. Is this the singular act, the the leveling of Terminus, that's going to send Bell Rios into full-on coup mode? I, I almost think yes, because we know that the thoughts have been there right that you know that 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 we need to go in and you know military coup whatever despite the fact that he said he's going to get rid of the genetic dynasty he's still in power you know all belrius needs dave he just needs well, a teammate you know <laughs> he's he's got one yeah, if he wants them yeah. you you mentioned that uh, either a week Last, last week or the week, week before. Yep. Okay, yep. I'm, I'm feeling even stronger. Team up vibes going here. We're going to see the the Bell Hober team up, and it's going to be awesome. So we got Glaywin dead. Maybe. And, see, that's okay. your problem, Dave. You're always yeah, trying to count people yeah, out before. Yeah, but see, uh, yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah. Tell me I'm if wrong. He's, if he's Tell not dead, wrong. well, yeah, I, I would, but you've been right. <laughs> <laughs> more than i want to admit no but, but I, I think here for sure glaywin's glay was done for right yeah i mean gail and salvor are alive i don't know how salvor is alive i i all right whatever salvor is alive how about harry well I, I, i'm getting to him i got <laughs> tell him dead yeah. Now, may, yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. That one I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push out that one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that's for sure. Right. Harry alive? I mean, come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, because we we've already talked about it. we could still have Harry Selden in hologram form for the rest of the series. So uh, my head wants to explode, and then of course Polly, I I, I think has to be dead. Yeah, dies well, a heroic death. Everyone on, on Terminus is dead, right? They have to, and we see him plant that flag that that you know takes us back to when we first meet him as a child. So, which is great, uh, full circle kind of sim- symbology there. I, 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 I liked, I like what they did with with Polly. I thought he was he was definitely one of my favorite characters this season. I'm, I'm sorry to see him go. Uh, he yeah. was fabulous from beginning to end. Yeah. Now, you know, on Terminus, there are a couple of things that that you know, I want to bring up, uh, you know, about the, the meeting Day has with Harry, where Day tells Harry that he doesn't accept the notion of the Empire's fall and the ensuing darkness. And he's convinced that eliminating the genetic dynasty is a good thing. So how can that lead to this fall that you are predicting and on the one hand it's like all right i mean that's a maybe a simplistic way to assess uh, assess you know all, all of the global ramifications 
But I get what he's saying. And Harry's like, well, I don't know. Well, it's like basically like like you said, like you you actually don't matter, dude. Like, sorry to tell you this, right? I mean, like so many people think of like the like the 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 poster boy for the fall of the Roman Empire has got to be Nero, right? Sure. Burning Rome, playing the violin, all that stuff, you know. But he wasn't, you know. Like right after him. Uh, not right after they, they had five good emperors, you know, and they had like ups and downs, and they had some good emperors, some bad emperors. But you know, according to psycho history, the the whole course of of Rome played out just as it would, no matter who was emperor when or what. You know, like all those individual guys just didn't matter. What happened was going to happen. And if you want to take a a piece of foreshadowing, at least this is how I interpret it. Uh, you know, Harry offers Day the prime radiant, but then Day says the fate of humanity will be determined by actual humans as he talks to Harry's hologram as a less than satisfied Demersel looks on. And I'm thinking like, all right, I'm guessing it's not going to be determined by actual humans. Right. Well, because you see Harry actually is talking more to Demerzel than to than today, right? Sure. Like and he's talking to the, the 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 individual that he knows can actually make a difference, right? It's not him; it's her, and and he totally knows who she is and what she is. Um, and he's actually like surprised that she like I'm I'm surprised you don't think like this. You've been around for eighteen thousand years, like you know, you, you certainly you have seen. Exactly what psychohistory is talking about. You have seen the, the the broad scope of events, and you know how insignificant individuals are in that. Right. And I guess we don't know how much he realizes about her influence on the Cleons. I think he the totally Cleon. knows. Okay. So you think he understands that her, yeah. her level of importance. Okay. Yeah. Um, and after he you know, goes through that, admit your math is flawed and I'll spare Terminus. But then Demerzel confronts Day about her failure to help him become a good man. And he looks positively stunned by this accusation. And she's like, it's, uh, it's nothing I can do. It's yeah. too late. Right Now, it's too late for Day. Is it too late for Dawn? Or does that not matter? Because we've already been down this road that right. with the with the marriage that Dawn will never sit in the middle chair, or so we're told. I I think it's probably too late for all of them, you know. Okay. Like, but um, you know what we're we're seeing is you know because it's a I, I know I, I wouldn't say the books, but in the books, right? Like we we just see like kind of the ruins of empire. We're just told like it. Yeah, you know, we, we don't see the actual fall of the empire. It just it happened, and it happened over. It didn't happen with some dramatic one dramatic event. It just over centuries, it, it happened. Right? It, it was inevitable, and it happened. So that you get a feeling of of that. No matter what happens here with Sarath and all this stuff, we we are definitely entering the final stages of empire. And I think that Demerzel is totally uh, cognizant of that. So on Ignis, you, you know, we've talked a little bit there. There's not a whole lot that, that takes place there. A lot of action you know, though. Really a lot of good, action. Really well choreographed, choreographed fight. That was awesome. 
Yeah. Now, the one thing that, again, another nitpick when Salvor is fighting off the dude that, you know, projects himself as her. She already knows that. So why should that Uh, affect her at all? So it's so uh, it's terrible. That is the one problem. Really? And the, the problem with it is that I'm really enjoying this fight sequence. I'm like, I'm thinking this is brilliant. It's so well choreographed. Like, I, you know, just thinking about because I'm still kind of like watching some of the old Star Trek shows and everything. Like, you know, those fights are just so hokey and campy and bad and unrealistic. And you have this one that's like so realistic and so well choreographed. And then in the middle of it, he just flashes into like her old boyfriend and she pauses like, come on, Salvor, you know it's not him. Like, like you know, the first, okay, I think Fred said, like, okay, the first one, I g- give you, okay, maybe it shocks you the first time. But when he does it every time after that and it still affects you, like, come on. Like, that was, yeah. it just seemed, it, it, it pulled me out of the fight. Like, now I'm, I'm not enjoying the fight because I'm, like, so upset that they're doing this stupid thing and, and ruining a great fight with this, with this dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, and and then we get back to Beggar and, you know, Salvor manages to kill the dude in the airlock, which, all right, that that's good. Yeah. I like that. A little aliens type and, of uh, exactly, final, right. final shot there. But then she finds, tell him, ah, I was quicker than you. I know my way through the woods. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and then Harry appears. Ah, she's like, <laughs> you're a, you're a, you're an illusion. You're a hologram. Takes the axe. I never liked her. Yeah. <laughs> like, that I was, was definitely awesome. not. And, and there was always the, the sound of, of, of a head being smashed in is never like, that's never a good thing in any show. That always makes me queasy. And, and you see Gail and Salvor looking a little taken aback and, yeah, and as anyone some, would some be of like, the blood I'm spatter. Psyched we're not going to die, but ugh. All right. What else do uh, you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Well, you know, Dave, I'm not going to make you say the words, but I was right um, that there was Harry's death was dodgy, and uh, he he was not dead yet, and um, so or he was only mostly dead, and now he's some how they're going to explain it. I don't know. It might be the worst thing of this entire show to hear the explanation of how Harry's not actually dead, but we'll see. So you're saying it was lazy writing to bring him back. No, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think they, they obviously had that plan the whole time. It's just like, yeah. you know, the, the, the device that they're going to use to, to explain his coming back. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know Salvor as well, but that's another one. You anyway, know, go ahead. And we had talked before about, and I had talked, I know a lot, about uh, the impropriety of the sexual relationship between Day and Demerzel, thinking that he was the one you know, making it happen and that he is in charge of her and in control of her and is completely wrong. But it turns out it's actually the other way around and it's still maybe morally not so great, but she's the one kind of running him and that sleeping with him was a way that she was trying to uh, control him and change him and moderate him. Uh, that obviously didn't work, but it kind of turns around my whole, you know, complaint about it on its head because it, you know, it was, she was, she was purposefully electing, to do that as a way to try and, and change his 
uh, behavior. So, I mean, the, the Star Wars elements here, you know, they got the uh, the ships, you know, Pellis 1, checking in, Pellis 2, checking in, Pellis 3, you know, it's like, I mean, this is like that, that and, and I already mentioned Glaywin, you know, kind of getting into the, the heart of the Invictus and, you know, nailing him with the, the killing shot that disables it and everything like that. Jade Esperson, I mean, clearly has seen the Star Wars movies and I think is really, uh, from the title to the the, the battle scene, um, was all <laughs> very much heavily influenced by uh, one Mr. Lucas, I think. Oh, the, the, the great scene where they, Day spills out all the little protector bracelets and he's like, you sell these to the rabble? And they're like, no, we give them away. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this is this really, this tech that only he has. And, and it's like a trinket, almost worthless on a terminus. It's, that should have given him pause, right? Right at that point, you should say, whoa, I am dealing with stuff that I don't necessarily understand right now. Maybe take a step back before I decide to destroy this place. You know, uh, I think that might be it. Okay. All right, well, let's move over to listener feedback, and we'll start this week again with Cincinnati Joe, who checks in via email. What we're watching was disappointed with the finales and seasons of Osaka and Wheel of Time, but the first episode of Loki season two is promising great actors having fun together. Episode nine of Foundation, I was digging the earlier parts of the episode, finally got some of Demerzel's background, which was very interesting. Hope we'll get more in the future. But I have many issues with the plots, and it got so melodramatic with Day and the stuff with Bell and Glaywin. It's hard to believe that such a large underground bunker existed under the palace for thousands of years with no one noticing, especially since no one was keeping it a secret. It was just there. And if Demerzel didn't want anyone to enter it, why didn't she block it or seal it up? She had hundreds of years to do so. Is there some reason Harry didn't use the magic vault to kill Day and Demerzel or time shift them to prevent the planet's destruction? I think holding Day and especially Demerzel in the vault for weeks would have thrown things into chaos for the Empire. Why didn't the Foundation people use those copious bracelets to shield themselves from what seemed to be a small number of Empire soldiers attacking the planet. That's a great question, actually. Seemed like the Foundation had lots of advanced tech. The leaders of the Foundation seemed to be itching for war in earlier episodes, so you'd think they'd be able to defend against a small army coming down on them. They didn't even seem to have guns handy or anything but the Invictus and a wave of ships, so how were they planning to fight the Empire previously if they couldn't stop this? Well, let me go in reverse a a little bit because... I mean, did Day and the Empire's arrival, I mean, catch them off guard or did they know this was happening? Did they have plenty of time to prepare? Well, they they should have, though, you think, because they, while they their plans did shift, right? They yeah. were preparing for war, but then Harry said, no, no, no. Um, we're going to send Hober off this way, and we're sending uh, Polly and Constant off this way, and, and that's the new plan, right? I mean, a, a responsible leader would have thought, hey, these negotiations that with, uh, you know, first of all, we, we're sending Polly Verisov, so question about how well that's going to work out 
as far as his his you know his plan, his negotiations with Day. So maybe in case things don't go so well, maybe we should be ready for to be attacked. Okay, and, and that's a valid point. I, I guess what I'm wondering, and I guess I'd have to go back, how much warning did they have that that day was coming? Because y- you've got the, you know, the, the factory. You, you know, day is absolutely right. Your church is an armory. Why would you not have it emptied out? Have everything covered up? Don't don't make it look like something that he wants to investigate. Instead, you've got everybody hard at work, clearly making things that are not church related. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the whole idea of, of how well prepared they should be. I mean, as far as, you know, why Harry didn't just kill Day and Demerzel, I mean, is it, does Harry look at it, it being psychohistory, as something that just has to take place? What would be the point? of killing one individual. Now, granted, we've talked in time travel about the whole great man or great woman theory that, you know, if you if you kill just some dude on the street, is that going to alter the timeline? No, probably not. If you kill the president, then maybe it does. But in but again, this case, in the, in the overall over a thousand years, does it matter? No, it does not. Exactly. And that's why I think the answer for why Harry just doesn't, do anything just just you know let's let's things play out right and there's also like one thing i'd say about a terminus and their level of preparation is like i mean i think that's an that's a a extremely valid question on joe's part because you're right they were preparing for war they were getting ready to take the war to the uh to to the empire so how can i guess they did bring the entire fleet with them so i mean that's pretty tough to fight but still like you would have Assuming you would have been going against the fleet, um, so why, you know, why were they so woefully overmatched here? Um, the only thing I can think of is that maybe their ultimately their their plan to attack the empire would have involved multiple other worlds in the in the outer rim here, um, or outer reach, I guess they call it here. Um, so that it wouldn't just be terminus, but I don't I don't know if that's the answer or not. Yeah, I, I I don't know either. I mean, Day certainly takes control of the situation. All right, uh, you know, Empire gave you Terminus so that you could do the Encyclopedia Galactica. Where is it? I'd like to see it. Yeah. <laughs> where's, I, I think, where's my copy? I never got right. it. Right. I hear this all the time for your book. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll send you a PDF, uh, Day. But <laughs> anyway, and, and then... I guess I would disagree about calling the scene melodramatic with, with Bell and Glaywin. I mean, I thought it was very poignant, but I think more to the point why it was so important, as I said, I, I think that's going to be the inflection point for Bell Rios. And I think you're absolutely right to team up with Hober and take the fight to the empire. Hell yeah. The Imperium. So yeah, you know, I, I, Anyway, all right, well, let's go ahead and get to the audio feedback, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 9. 
back from Germany and I'm very happy to be able to give some feedback now. Although I have to say I hadn't a chance to listen to your episode 7 and 8 podcast yet. Some daily life stuff came in the way. I found a little prince story very interesting that he found Demoiselle and um, how this evolved. The only thing is that I found it a little improbable that he just freed her after a long, long life and didn't do that earlier. On the other hand, the tech he built into her back had to be developed. I wonder who he asked to do that. I'm not assuming that he developed that tech himself. But well, with memory wipes you can ask your scientists everything. Although the question then is whether memory wipes already existed at the time of Cleon the First. And of course there are little other nitpicks there, because when the little prince went into this hallway and discovered Demoiselle, there was light and there was no dust and she was already, I believe, 5000 years there. So... Who did the cleaning there? Same is true for the power supply there. Nobody knew she was there and still there was light, there was cleaning, there was power, etc. But okay, uh, otherwise it gets difficult to tell this story. Or they could have put her in a very dusty cave or something like that and he activated some energy circuits, etc. They could have stolen the ideas from Stargate SG-1 easily. It was an action-packed episode with all kinds of locations where scenes went on. I had a little trouble with the fight between Laurent and Salvor. Salvor just hesitated too often when she saw Hugo. Okay, for the first or second time it's okay, but then on and on. She perfectly knew it was Laurent. The fight inside the ship between Talum and Gaal was impressive, physically and mentally. I was really amazed at the end that suddenly Harry came there to kill Talum. Where did he come from? Didn't he drown? What was that? Okay, we will learn that probably in the last episode. And since he could kill Talum, it was not an AI Harry, but a physical Harry. Brother Day is getting crazier and crazier and I think Lee Pace really performed well, uh, especially at the end with this stupid grin on his face that he is really getting idiotic. Crazy was actually also that Demoiselle just abandoned Brother Day and apologized for his bad upbringing and that he is deranged. Special was that he just let her go. On the other hand, she's a kind of mother to him. Ben Daniels, who plays Bel Rios, also performed greatly, especially very dramatic with the interaction with Galeon on the planet on Terminus. Demerzel didn't come for tea leaves, but will she takes Harry's offer for a crystal ball? In other words, the prime radiant. Okay, that will be all for this time. Looking forward to the last episode of this second season. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Hi, Wayne and Dave, and all Sci-Fi TV Rewatch listeners. This is Alan in Minnesota with feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 9, Long Ago, Not Far Away. A return to form this week. Hey... 
great world building, cataclysmic events, and even some really fun pew-pew space battles. Speaking of which, are they having fun with Star Wars with that episode title? I wonder how often Demerzel dreams about that moment when she was free before Cleon put the chip in her neck. On the other hand, it has to be better than thousands of years trapped in a room sliced up like an anatomy project. I wonder if the show's writers had this all planned when they had an earlier version of Dave force Demerzel to kill her religious leader last season. That doesn't in retrospect quite seem to jibe with the marionette strings we see her holding this season. I hope Tellum is truly gone and not hiding out in Gale. Kudos to Wayne for sussing out that there was something fishy about Harry's death. Poor Polly. At least he finally got to plant that flag. I think Harry somehow gave Demerzel back her freedom, perhaps when he handed her the Prime Radiant. I am very curious to know what she's planning to do on Trantor. Hopefully we'll find out next week. I guess Day was not sincere about seeking peace, after all. Or maybe only if it involved total capitulation. That look on his face at the end. This week, I'm grading the show a straight-up A. Hello to Wayne and Dave and all fans of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Alan from England here, with feedback mostly about Foundation Series 2, Episode 9. What I'm watching... Finished season three of Manifest, which I'm still hanging on in there with. Uh, it's getting more and more supernatural and biblical and perplexing with a couple of strange twists towards the end of season three, which means I'm ready for season four back on Netflix. Finished rereading The Three-Body Problem and experienced some elements very differently from how I first remember reading it. Now on to book two. The Dark Forest. And what I'm listening to, as well as Dave, I always listen to In Our Time on BBC Radio or catch up with it as a podcast. I think of all those episodes stretching back to the late 90s as like the podcasts of Alexandria. Almost any subject you could ever think of is in there somewhere. I mostly go there for the science, uh, the physics, the space, but I sometimes hang around for the art or history episodes. Meanwhile, Foundation, long ago, not far away. Is that a deliberate Star Wars reference? Which, of course, would be long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Definitely long ago, or at least 600 years, back to the origin of the Cleons. The secret door. Demersal in a very strange, sliced-up situation. That bit about the many stories being told reminded me a lot of the 1001 Arabian Nights. Her name is Demersal, but it's not her original name, nor her original gender. Now, there was a very famous robot in the robot stories called R. Daniil Olivor. Daniil is a bit like Demersal, but not that close. She's been around about 18,000 years. In her discussions, she is almost like a genie wishing to be free. She doesn't have an army, but could make one. Unlike Humpty Dumpty, she is put together again. We find the extent of her freedom and agency, her obedience to any of Cleon's line, and the confirmation of the removing of memories. She has all the power, except the power to do what she wants. Or as they approximately said in Dark, man does what he wills, but cannot will what he wills. Or as Admiral Akbar said, it's a trap, and Dusk and Rue are stuck. 
Meanwhile, on Ignis, Salva thwarts Tellum, freeing Gale. Out near Terminus, Belrios talks with Hober, Constant, and checks out the castling device, what we might call Chekhov's castling device, just as Empire turns up and then descends to the planet and goes straight to that church of the manufactured miracle devices. Battle in space commences. That battle is pretty awesome. Again, various shades of Star Wars here, but now it's Empire attacking a large ship. That's no moon. Even Glaywin leaves like a triumphant Luke, but then is hit and spins off like a defeated Vader. Salvor needs to get a grip to defeat that mentalist. I thought she was going to have to attack like Perseus on Medusa by not looking at him directly, but eventually the airlock helps to deal with that situation. Gale and Tellum fight more mentally until Harry's back with a vengeance. Three strikes and she's out. Demersal metaphorically slaps Day in the face before heading off with a twist on I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Belrios faces the decision of his life, destroying Terminus and Glaywon with it. I feel we knew we'd have to make some kind of agonising decision at some point, but I didn't see this particular one coming. Day is ecstatic in that destruction. But what's going to happen next? Well, one more episode to find out. Take care. Alan from England. All right, we'll start with Fred this week. And, and Fred has a question about that tech that Cleon the first has for Demerzel. And I think he says he got it from Earth. At least that's what he said. Whether he well, went it, there it, or... It originated on Earth. I, I, don't, I don't feel like he actually went to Earth to get it. Okay, uh, that's a good point. Found someone who, you know, like had some really old stuff lying around. Okay, and and, and that then begs the question: whether Earth is still in the picture? And and again, this toolkit has that representation of the eight planets on it that we, you know, have already seen before. So. You know, Earth being one, I guess. Uh, you know, I guess in the future, Pluto still has lost its Poor planet status. Pluto. I'm yeah, with you, but, Pluto. Yeah, I, I feel you've been you got a raw deal. Yeah. Now, Fred mentions you know the, this hidden tunnel and about the cleaning, and I guess look, I mean, at, with this level of technological advancement, I think it's perfectly plausible that there's some sort of a self cleaning deal going on in this in this tunnel but then as far as the lighting i mean it just seemed to me it was motion activated so you know maybe it hasn't been activated in a long time but i guess the bulbs would still be good um you know and then he of course mentions the acting that's phenomenal but anything else about fred's i think we kind of commented on a lot of this stuff here um it was just that like i think I, I think Fred said this is like, you know, he just, he had to wait. Uh, you know, why did he wait so long to, to free Demerzel? It's like, well, he had to wait till he, he had the tech, right? He had to wait till he had the means to control her, even though she was out. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I agree. Acting we talked about, uh, the fact that Demerzel totally has a reason to leave there for sure. So. All right. Now, Alan in Minnesota gives this one a straight A, and uh, I'm not sure I disagree with him on that one. Yeah, I, I, I think A is appropriate grade this time. Yeah, I mean, there's a few nitpicks, as I mentioned, but not enough to, uh, you know, 
knock it down to uh, yeah. A minus. Love the pew pew space battle. That was, yeah. That was great. Now he mentions about Tellum being alive or possibly being alive. I mean, come on now. Yeah, I mean, she, she took an axe to, I uh, guess, the the head. I mean, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think he was hitting her in the shoulder. No, I'm no. Sure that so was the, uh, the head he was aiming for there. So. Right, right. Now, Alan in England uh, mentions that he just finished, I believe, season three of Manifest. So glad to hear you're hanging in there, Alan. I'll again, as I said before, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on season four if you can get through it. But uh, anyway, um, now he also mentioned three body problem. And I mentioned, uh, you know, maybe a month or so back that I was rereading it in anticipation of the series that I forget even who's producing it, whether it's Amazon or Apple or whoever, but I just can't get through it. I, I just, it's, you know, I, I finished it the first time a couple years ago and thought i have a vague understanding of what the hell i just read so let me reread it i got the i just lost interest <laughs> so you know alan yeah. good for you um but that's like me with uh, infinite jest like i just just can't get through it you know um I, I i've mentioned i'm reading the peripheral and and i know you mentioned you got a copy i don't know if you started reading it or not yeah i'm probably about a third of the way through and i'm I've, I've kind of hit the doldrums, I think. Okay. Well, you know, the thing I was going to say, I'm, I'm about halfway now. I don't know that I would really understand what was going on totally had I not seen the series. 100% agree. So yeah. I was like, if I had not seen the TV show, I would have absolutely zero idea of what's going on right now. The only thing that's keeping any kind of comprehension in my brain right now is the fact that I, that I saw the tv series and i kind of have an idea of what the, what's going on all right anything else about the uh, audio feedback no i just let all the star wars uh shout outs that you guys mentioned were great uh you know chekhov's castling device love that that was that was that's a good call out there uh for sure the castling device is gonna find its way maybe in some kind of team up i don't know yep so, uh, yeah, and, and thank you both, Alans, for saying Wayne and Dave. I love that. So. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, all right, so I think we're all in agreement. We're going to give this one an A. And uh, heading into the season two finale, still no word on a season three, which is a, a little concerning for me at this point because the series has been – or the season has been done for close to a month now. And, and no word on a renewal. And I mean, I know the writer's strike and all that, but you know, you had yeah. to know the strike was going to end and I don't know why that would preclude you from, you know, well, renewing I, I, it. But I, I think, I mean, when we saw so many, you know, series that just got stripped canceled uh, during the strike, just because the uncertainty was how are we going to make, are, you know, what's, what's this going to look like on, on the other end? Yeah. So. Love it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. All right. But we will if keep not, everybody. We've had two pretty good seasons. To- All right. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, the peripheral, if maybe you're reading it along with uh, the two of us. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about the season two finale of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. 
But until then, you know, I, I, I think everyone, when you go to a sports event, you have your own method of, of cheering and getting into it. I was really kind of not appreciative of my wife saying that as I'm sitting there cheering, she said, you are a sperm led by its waving flagellum. I thought that was so rude.